Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? Hey, Russ. Doing great. I'm, you know, uh, is it your plant is not looking good or what's going on there? The, the plant is not looking good. We were gone for about a week and that was the same week when Texas turned into a frying pan. And so the plant is currently not happy with me. So did you go someplace with a fire so you could be out of the frying pan into the fire? Is that the... <laughs> We should have. I didn't think of that. <laughs> Since Texas is a frying pan, you want to go someplace that's a fire. <laughs> That's, it doesn't work otherwise. No, no. So, so how's it going other than that? No dinosaurs, no, just like very plain. Calm and plain. No, no big drama here. So I'm pretty happy about that. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Unlike my house, which is always a drama. I got some pieces of figured maple in today to work on some woodwork around the house. I'm going to build some speaker stands. So I started just got those in today, so start playing with that. And today we are joined by Giovanni Messina. Is that right, Giovanni? Absolutely, right. 100%. And where are you physically, Giovanni, other than a room with a white background? Like, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's my strategy. I cannot be located. I am actually in Ireland, uh, Europe, Dublin. Okay, you're in Dublin. All right, cool. So Dublin of all places. I don't think I've ever been to Dublin. I've been to lots of people, lots of places in Europe, but I don't think I've ever been to Dublin. All right. So this week, this came up because, you know, the economy has been kind of in a downturn. I know that Google has not been laying people off, but has been not, uh, has been dropping hires, like telling people they have a job and then telling them they don't. And I know that Meta just laid some people off or just restructured, did a limited restructuring. And I know Cisco, of course, has the yearly restructure that they've been doing for years and years and years. So I guess the topic for this this particular episode of The Hedge is just being prepared. Like, what can you do mentally, physically, whatever it is, to be prepared for bad times and also, as Tom said earlier, for opportunities, right? So I don't know, Giovanni, do you want to start like with a little bit of your experience? I mean, I, I'll say out of the gate, I've been laid off a couple of times. I've been, I've been released because of or let go because of limited restructures a couple of times. And people find that hard to believe. But it is the reality in our industry that we do have a habit of limited restructures and I don't know, you know, we often don't handle it well from a management side. People, you know, are told the day before in their one-on-ones, oh, you're doing awesome. We're going to give you a raise. And then the next day, bada bing, we're calling you to let you know that you don't have a job and, you know, foo on you type of thing. So we don't, we don't tend to do well with projecting out and understanding things. So I don't know, Giovanni, you're, maybe start a little bit with your experience in this realm because it seems to have happened to you recently. Yeah, so, uh, sorry, Russ, maybe there is some misunderstanding that I haven't been laid off recently, but I was really interested in what oh, you okay. wrote about it because 
as you said, with the general economy, how is it going? It is one of the points that it really came to my mind and it was really scaring me and giving me some bad night of sleep, you know, uh, because <laughs> especially and, and as... I don't blame you. you. <laughs> yeah. You know, you grew older, you start building your own life, um, uh, house, family, whatever. And it's not really a bright prospect, right, to be laid off, as you said, one day from the other. Uh, but at the same time, I really really like uh, philosophy in many sense. And one of the things that has been more valuable to me is the concept of no memento mori from the Stoics. Remember that you have to die. And it kind of seems the same thing here with jobs, right? So uh, we have great jobs, we love them, but there is no way that we can think at any stage that we will have them forever, that nothing happened to us and uh, that, you know, we can just sleep peacefully. Uh, and with that, going back to the Memento Mori uh, topic as well, pretty much we cannot base our life on predictions, right? We don't know what is going to, to happen. And so I think that this recent economy downtown made me think, even in a work perspective, I cannot just assume that everything it will be fine forever and that I need to be prepared there because it's not personal. We, we have seen it with COVID. You may be in a great company with great people. You may be impacted one day out of the blue and lose your job, right? So it is a chance. I was really impressed when I went through your blog and so the article where you were sharing the, your experience and, you know, I thought if it happened to us, it can really happen to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> True. And, and I actually think a good place to start on this is, like you said, you know, remember your death. Remember that the future is just the future, right? And there's very little you can do about it um, and that you need to set your expectations accordingly. And I think we live in a very youth-oriented culture that tends to think that you'll never have to retire. You'll never have to, like, do anything. You'll be awesome for the rest of your life. And that because of that, you know, you don't need to plan. People will just take care of you. And by the way, that's a, that, that's a second thing that I think we run into a lot of times is that there used to be a social contract between companies and people. And I think that's still the right way to do things, but that's not the way the world is organized now. There's no social contract anymore. You are the master of your own fate. Nobody's really going to take care of you. I mean, you'll meet the occasional person who will take care of you, who will work with you, who will try to make your life better, try to improve your skill set, will look into your life and try to coach you or mentor you. But overall, companies are not people. And, you know, the company's going to do what's best for the company, not what's best for you. So I think just being realistic is the first place to start, right? That, that seems to me to be uh, yeah, the best it, place. Yeah, it is being realistic. And I think you touched on this. At the same time, we are really the owner of our life, right? As you said, we shouldn't expect someone else to be owning our safety, 
our planning for the future, our profession. We are the owner. We need to account and take care for that. We need to be 100% responsible for our life. And sure, we cannot control everything. We cannot control all the events. But it starts from it starts from us. And at least this is the way I see it for me, right? I'm not entitled for anything by any other company or any other people beyond what we agree in the contract that you just mentioned, right? But I'm thinking more on professional contracts, that perspective. And so when you really start uh, thinking that you know you own every single life, every single aspect of your life, sure, it may be a bit intimidating at the beginning, but then once you accept that responsibility, it comes a lot more easier because as you said, it sets the expectation, right? I see myself and the company like kind of a professional uh, relationship marriage, right? We we stay together because it's for the best of both of us. And that makes sense. But at the same time, this is the, the deal. And I'm not expecting anything more uh, out of this than the expectation set in the original contract. And I, I, think, I, don't, I think that that's actually a pretty healthy... Uh, relationship to have with your employer. And, and I know it's different from the way it used to be, but to me, like for me personally, having that relationship where this is a business relationship that is by definition temporary, it, it makes it really clear who's responsible for what. If you're with a company and you have this idea that the company is going to take care of you, then the lines get blurred about, well, whose job is it to pay my health insurance premiums? Whose job is it to make sure that I'm happy? Whose job is it to make sure that I have work-life balance? Like those questions all get really murky when the when it's not uh, you know, understood as a temporary contractual relationship. But as soon as you realize that the, the company is not your goal forever, um, then you can be a lot more, I don't know, you can take control of things just like we've been saying. To me, I think that's I think it's healthy. It helps me have better relationships with my coworkers, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's definitely healthy because there are no hidden expectations, right? It's everything out in there. I'm giving you value. You are giving me things that I value. Things till we keep going with this exchange of value. All of us are happy. And at the same time, you know, once you own your professional career, you are also giving yourself uh, freedom and opportunities. So uh, if you own your career, you are staying where you like. You are not staying in a place where you don't like uh, to stay. So as you said, I think it comes with a large number of good benefits. While there is work to do for being constantly prepared, there are a lot of upsides as well. So I think it's difficult in the IT world to maintain that kind of attitude because, and, and maybe in other worlds as well, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of experience in places other than, well, that's that's not true. I was in the Air Force for nine years and I worked for other kinds of companies and in, in, in on and off here and there. But there's kind of a sense that the company wants to draw you out and to get you to give more of your life to the company, to come to work all in, to bring all of you to work is perhaps a phrase that I've heard in the past. For instance, I worked at places where they not only have, and there are, other, I, I know of other places that are like this, that they not only have a gym on site, 
They have breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the cafe. They have pickup meals that you can take home to your family if you're running late. They have desserts. They have doctors, dentists on site. They actually, I've been in places where they actually have a gas service that brings a gas truck and drives through the parking lot and will fill your car up so that you don't have to worry about going to the gas station. And they will do um, grocery store deliveries on site so that you can, you know, call your grocery store and they will deliver to the front desk and the front desk will put it in a big refrigerator type thing and you can take it home with you when you go home type of thing. So there, there is a thing within a company that wants to bring all of you. They want you to bring all of yourself to work. They want your ideas. I mean, I've actually shut down interview processes where people have said, oh, by the way, when you come to work for us, we own all of the all of the content you produce, including your dissertation. And, you know, there's a thing where companies kind of want you to bring all of yourself to work. But then on the other side, when they're ready to let you go, you're gone. And yeah, I was, I was just going to say, that's a pretty good deal for them for what it costs them to give you gas and and perks and stuff like that and what they get out of it it totally makes sense that they would that they would try to make this deal with you but like you mentioned Russ it's not necess- it looks it looks like it is a good deal but it's not in your favor i don't think i don't think it favors the employee ever actually yeah yeah and by the way this is something that working from home exposes you to right when you work from home, it's it's one of the arguments for doing remote work more often when you can, is that it forces you to be a little bit more self-disciplined, a little more independent. So I, I don't know how, if you, Giovanni or Tom, have any thoughts on those things beyond what you just said there, Tom. Yeah, I go back to the ownership piece because I hear a lot from people that I know, hey, since I started working from home, I started working three hours more per day because I'm just at home, right? And uh, uh, I absolutely love working from home. I've been working from home in the last three years, and it is just so good that I don't have any plan whatsoever to go back to the office. And probably someone has to come and drag me if I really have to do it. And this for me, it goes a lot to my self-discipline and to organizing my schedule and my calendar. Because while we still have the chance to be, as you well said, sometimes not even from a bad will, but overwhelmed by the requirements coming from the work perspective, I we still have the chance to, to say no, right? Or to organize our life according to the priorities that we really need to serve. So uh, going to the freedom point and to the responsibility, you can get all these requirements, but as you are the owner of your own company, you can say no, right? At least, you know, keep yourself in the healthy balance. Uh, Sure, at any time, uh, provide value to the company, deliver what you need to deliver, do the extra mile. But to me, nothing in life can be achieved in the short term 
So doing stuff that is going to burn you and you're going to quit in two weeks, it's definitely a good way to end up in a bad spot. So uh, go to the ownership point. You know, there will be pressure maybe to do more. Sometimes it comes because there are just 200 people reaching out to you and they don't know how many things you have to do. But again, we are the owner of our calendar. So let's keep it quiet. But we really need to be mindful about this because otherwise we can end up in a bad spot. And I think on the subject of um, being prepared, I think this actually connects to that really well because as you um, work from home or whatever, as you take more control over your schedule and your work life, um, you actually make yourself a better executive decision maker. I feel like um, you make it, you give your learning skills that make it make you a more valuable contributor. I know a lot of people who have great technical skills, but who actually can't actually get an important work done. They could tell you all about how a computer works or how this or that works, and they they are experts and they know. But when it's time to execute and actually make something happen, they're just not the person. And so you know, so we cry out for project managers and product owners, and somebody else needs to actually make things happen. And I feel like in my life, when I'm responsible for everything, I have to be the product owner and it makes me better at executing. And I, I don't know, I think business needs more people that can execute and less people that can kind of lecture everybody about executing. Action is the first way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Take, take your own initiative. But I mean, on a practical side, beyond, beyond the mindset of being prepared, like just knowing that things can happen, there are some real practical things you can do, I think. Um, and the thing we're all going to think of immediately is keeping your skills up to date. And the problem for me is that I don't see this the way most other people do. I, I see this more as a keep your skill at learning up to date, learning how to learn and keeping your ability to learn quick. And by the way, as you get older, that's harder. Just just to tell you up front that you kind of exchange static knowledge for fluid knowledge or something like that. You kind of exchange knowledge for wisdom and you learn more about where to hit the machine than how to do detailed work on figuring out, you know, how the machine's doing what it's doing or whatever the case is that, but that's okay. You just learn to shift gears with that. And I'll always zoom back to my rule 11 concept, which is that stop, learning how to configure this stuff and configure out and learn how it works, learn how to ask the right questions. And, and I, I thought I was actually going to write a blog post on this and I probably still will, but I thought of this in terms of bicycles the other day. People say you never forget to learn, never forget how to ride a bike once you've learned to ride it. And you think about the process of learning to ride a bike and at first, when you're on the bike, you're focused on balancing and how you're moving your steering, you know, your the 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 handlebars and how much you're putting pressure on each on each pedal. And, you know, when you get on and off, there's all these things you're paying attention to. And after a while, you quit paying attention to all that and you start paying attention to where you're trying to go. And we don't do that enough in network engineering. We spend our entire career learning how to ride a bike 500 times because Cisco came out with a new box, Juniper came out with a new box, a new protocol hit, whatever, and we never seem to learn to stop and say, no, I know how to ride the bike. Now I have a goal. 
Let me just go do that goal. All right. So, no, I, I, I have a lot of this feeling, right, where there is a lot of technical knowledge on how to do things. But uh, what it misses is the intent or the goal or the where are we going part of things, right? And a lot of time, uh, the technical skills, yeah, if, if you don't know them, you can go and read that manual about the new Cisco box or whatever, right? But that planning of, you know, what, what is the end goal? What is my North Star goal? What is my direction? Uh, that's the part that I often feel is not, um, not there is not enough focus. And at the same time, it's a part that provides a lot of value and uh, it doesn't take that long to start getting good at that, right? And uh, it connects back to also to a point which is about you know being intentional and also being curious, right? Because it's not only what uh, what like how should I do this, but it's what I can do with this. Where can this what opens? What door can open, right? So it's definitely a very interesting point and i'm interested to hear the opinion from tom yeah i russ i love your metaphor i never thought of it that way but so one of the things that recently i've i've taught my kids how to ride bikes and one of them i remember having to tell them a couple of times stop looking at your feet because it's just you would think that that's what you need to do because my feet i got to get them on the pedals i got to get them in the right place but no, he had to stop looking at his feet and start looking at the horizon. And then once, once we figure out how to make that transition, then a lot of this stuff almost naturally happens. I feel like in, in, you know, in the, in the, with children with a bike, but as long as they're fixated on their feet, it's just going to be really, really hard. And, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons your metaphor speaks to me, Russ, is I feel like there are a lot of people who are always just looking at their feet and they're terrified that if they start looking at the horizon, then they will miss their feet and they'll crash. And it's not, it's not how it works. If you look at the horizon and, and sort of trust that you can figure things out, I think you make a lot of progress and, and that confidence that I can figure this out. It's okay. The syntax, the typing in of commands, I can figure that out. That's easy. As soon as you feel like that, then it, the world is your oyster. I feel like you could learn anything. You could make anything go. But until you get there, when you're still in the place of, I don't know what commands to type, so I'm not sure I can do this. I, I feel like, I feel like we limit ourselves with that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think part of the, part of that feeling in the networking industry is kind of the fault of the certification structure that we have, not the sideline on a completely different world, but that's kind of, and, and by the way, not just certifications, a lot of colleges teach that as well, right? When you walk out of this college program, you're going to know how to configure BGP. Okay, like, I don't really care. <laughs> right, right. There, there was a time 30 years ago when I cared, and I don't, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> I, I so. think that the certification point that you raised, it's, I, I see a lot, especially when doing interviews, right? A lot of people with really good knowledge of every single argument that you can supply in the CLI and then missing the, what is a link state uh, routing protocol, right? You know, so I kind of feel, and 
you have created one certification, so I'm sure you have some great <laughs> knowledge there. But I kind of feel that there is the need for a new type of certification that focuses more on the real understanding of the network and not on, you know, what version is it running the switch, right? So uh, I understand why we get there because there is marketing from vendors and everything else, but I kind of feel that there is the need of a neutral certification, doesn't care about CLI at all, but let's, let's really focus on how network works and that will be great learning for all. Yeah, it would be. And maybe in the future, I'll continue trying to build such a thing. I've tried a couple of times and haven't succeeded. So, And and that's another thing, by the way, about being prepared is that don't assume that you're going to succeed or win. It's another part of the attitude that, you know, if something does happen and you're laid off or whatever, don't assume that you're going to have a job right out of the gate. And don't assume that it's not going to be you. It's going to be somebody else because you perform better than someone else. These things can be almost random. Every time that I have been in that position, it's primarily because the project I was working on was canceled and had nothing to do with me. At least as far as I know. Right. So sometimes, you know, it just is what it is. You you get roped into a project and then the project gets canceled and then you don't have a job. And that's just the way things work. So another thing I think you can do besides just knowledge, which I think keeping your knowledge is is really, really important. And again, going back to the, don't just learn how to configure things, you know, learn how to learn, um, broaden out, learn security, learn privacy, learn to write, learn, other things don't just learn technology per se straight up or your own primary technology. Um, and don't expect that's going to happen overnight. Um, you know, we often overestimate how much we can do in three hours and underestimate what we can do in three months. And learning I think is a big part of that. People look at me or Tom and say, Oh my gosh, you know so much like, yeah, but I've been doing this for 30 years. Don't like, don't don't compare yourself. That's not a valid comparison. And so, um, and I have a lot of side knowledge in electronics and stuff that have been very helpful to me, picking concepts up and stuff. But anyway, going to the next thing that I was thinking about is building a community. And I know, Tom, you're a part of a really strong community. Um, and what I found is, is that you can sometimes lose your community And it's okay if you lose one part of your community at once, but if you're involved in two or three communities that are fairly strong communities, that you can survive the loss of one community by relying on the other one while you're rebuilding in different areas, but that you need to be intentional about not just counting on your work community to be your community. And that doesn't mean don't build work community at work. It means have both, in my opinion. I, I don't know if yeah, either and, of you have. And I, I think that goes beyond sort of the obvious, well, it's not who, you, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I think that's sort of the immediate conclusion that people draw. Oh, if I have lots of friends and I can call someone and ask for a job. Well, that may or may not be true, but community is far more than that. Community is the people that you help and it's the people that, to me, the biggest 
when, when I look at community, the people that I'm helping are far more important to me than the people who have helped me as far as in terms of like what I'm going to put my effort into. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that sounds weird, but like it, but when I think about how, what am I going to do to invest in the community? It's always the people that, that I can help. And you would think that, th- that those relationships wouldn't help you, right? Because you're helping them. So how could they help you? But it all, it all comes back. And I think the more you give, the more things are on your side and, and people notice, and there, there are network effects that you're not aware of, uh, that are happening when you're trying to invest in your community. And I just, it's sort of like the universe will take care of you sort of thing. I'll, I don't know. Maybe that sounds hokey, but I don't know. I think you become the kind of person that other people want to be around when you invest in a community and that helps you in a ton of ways. It might help you find a job, but it'll certainly help you become the kind of uh, person that people would like to hire. Yeah. So and there, there is a lot that? also, yeah, there is a lot also in, you know, it may not be a job, but it may be a great help in becoming a better engineer or becoming a better person or pushing through a difficult moment. Um, and I see it, I see this on multiple levels. So my experience is when I decided to focus on being a network engineer, I started opening LinkedIn and finding all you guys pushing out this amazing stuff. And you naturally feel inclined to want to reciprocate with, you know, giving back to the community. There is always someone better than you, and there is always someone that is starting after you, right? So there is always something that you can share. And I started my little contribution that way, uh, sharing my thoughts on LinkedIn and everything. But uh, at some stage, there is uh, another thought that I really remember fondly. I changed job. I was in a new position where I didn't know anything about the the vendor. I didn't know anything about uh, the technology. And I had to start in one week. I really was panicking. So I reached out to one of these guys that I was following. And I, I, I was very honest. Hey, man, I'm starting in a week. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Do you have any recommendation for me? And and it was like, I looked at your LinkedIn. I like the guys young like you that want to learn and everything. Here is the material that I sell to other people to study and learn. I give it to you. Just you know, give me a favor. Don't give it to anyone because I live selling the stuff. And when you get this kind of, it really opened my heart. I mean, I was um, still grateful to this this uh, person, but. It goes back to providing value and having good values because at the end of the day, when you believe in something, when you really want to do something, not for the money, not for the ego, not for the status, but for the value of it, it everything starts going in a circle, like you said, Tom, is everyone contributing to each other and the, there are infinite ways of that working. Yeah, so I think that's that's absolutely true. I don't know. I mean, for me, community has been such a big deal, and I've had massive changes in my personal life that caused me to rely on my work community, actually, for a while. And now I'm rebuilding my personal community. I moved cities as part of that process, and now I'm rebuilding my personal community because I know that eventually there will be a shift in my work environment that is going to cause me to, you know, need to rely on my personal community. Now. 
the last, and, and by the way, one of those things might be the last thing I want to talk about for me anyway, that I was thinking about in this area is being ready to shift gears. All right. I've been doing network engineering for 30 years ish. Before that I did electronic engineering for a while, but I have always had the sense that I need to have a second income stream and a second set of skills that I can rely on in case everything just goes crazy and there's just not another network engineering job out there. Like, what am I going to do if my company shuts down and we're in a deep recession and nobody's hiring and there's just nothing else, right? And I need to be cognizant of that and to build up a set of skills that are outside of my main area because no matter, they can take your house, they can take your friends, whatever, but what they can't take is they can't take your skills and they can't take your knowledge, right? And the wisdom you've built up over the years. And so I do podcasting, I do, you know, teaching, I teach at Pierce, teach with Pearson and other stuff that I try to do partially because teaching is a good second skill to have. Woodworking, carpentry is a good second skill to have. There's a lot of other skills that are good to have. And so I don't know if either of you have thoughts on that as well. I think it, I'm, I'm studying a few second skill in this period. One of this is um, personal finance. And I see the topics applied there really applied here and in general. So if you see this whole discussion that we are doing, it goes back to one main general item, which is diversification, right? You want to be diversified in your skills. You want to be diversified in your communities. You want to be diversified financially. And uh, it's not that diversifying is the best way of becoming extra rich and with um, extra fancy title, but it's the way that in the large amount of events will get you in a good position. And these skills really translate one to each other, right? All this diverse perspective you get by joining another community or learning another skill, there is a lot of that that is going to go back to your main work as network engineer or whatever. And there are a lot, if you learn to, we touched that at the beginning, to own your own projects and manage your time, that's applicable to everything, right? It could be every kind of job. So I think that when you focus on getting, on becoming a better person and really get a diversified portfolio of skills and aptitudes, where you may not be to be specialized in everything you do, but you know, spend that 20% time that's going to give you a lot of return. Then you are really starting to be robust to failure. So, and that's a lot more fun, right? At least to me, uh, doing different things, it, it gets a lot more interesting. So definitely, I agree with you. I, I like what you said about being robust to failure, but also the idea of bringing other skills back into your main work. I think we see when we, at least when I hear the word diversification, I think of, you know, limiting risk because that's one of the main reasons that you would diversify. You know, there's always a trade-off to be made. If you're going to diversify your investments, you're going to make less money on some things than you otherwise would have. But the benefit that you get for that is 
is you get more safety and you get protection from risk. And so it's a trade-off that is wise to make. Uh, but I think there's something else we get, which you, which you touched on as well. It's not just the mitigation of risk. When you go learn an adjacent or even not an adjacent skill, I feel like it makes, it makes you a better decision maker. It gives you more, more depth to what you're doing in your main, in your main work. When you can look at, you know, look at the world through the perspective of another set of skills. You know, I, I'm in the middle of learning another very different area right now as well myself. And when I look at it and I see all the things that I've learned in my career in networking, I'm like, oh, well, this is just like such and such in a network operations background. Oh, this is, there are some common principles here that I didn't even realize until I studied this other area, this other thing that has nothing to do with networking. And now I feel more confident and, and I actually feel like I can make better decisions and I'm, and I'm more clear headed about things. Uh, I think there's a ton of benefits that flow from diversifying your, your skills. And it's not just about protecting from risk. It's also about making yourself richer and fuller and a better decision maker. Yeah. Yeah. This is what degree programs were once supposed to do was to make you into a well-rounded person with a lot of skills and a lot of thinking ability and unfortunately, it seems to me that most colleges have devolved to be or have converted themselves into being tech schools. And so if you're going to get this kind of skill set, you either have to pick the correct college intentionally and undergo the pain of going through a program that not many people are going to understand, or you have to get them on your own. This is my whole PhD in philosophy story, right? You know, why did you get a PhD in philosophy? Well, yeah, I could have gotten a PhD in comp sci. And yeah, having a PhD in comp sci would have had some advantages to it. It's a lot easier to get a job teaching at a state-run university or a large university in comp sci if you have a PhD in comp sci. But so sometimes it's a struggle to find adjunct jobs. In fact, I'm struggling right now to do just that. But in the long run, I feel like or I believe the PhD in philosophy was a better choice for me because it made me into a better person. So, yeah, that's all kind of the way that uh, that it kind of works for me as well. Well, I don't have any other thoughts on this. I didn't know if you, Giovanni, or you, Tom, Tom, either of you had any further ideas or thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I would like to add something on the being prepared just that goes back to the financial, uh, personal finance preparation which is something that I see it on myself. It's really helping my, my state of mind. As we said, on the how to be prepared, there are things that are not really related to technology. And one of these for me is for sure, be sure to have aside you know, six months, nine months of your expenses, because we really don't know if we can be you know, without job anytime. But having that peace of mind of, that buffer of money that is going to carry me through a difficult time where I would be without job. It really helps me because I know that I will have an extended decent enough time to try to get a new job. And at the same time, if I have any gap from the market, even though I should try to close them before, I will have time to focus on those and try to you know, get myself in a state where I am appetable to, to the market. So that financial preparation, I really see as a piece, a fundamental piece of being prepared for whatever can happen at work. 
<laughs> I like that. Just what you said. I will have time. That's what we can't manufacture, right? But if you have your expenses lined up, um, you're giving yourself time and you can use time to, to make something great and to get yourself in a better position. So if you can figure out how to give yourself time by being prepared, then, uh, you know, that's, I think that's, yeah, thank you. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So anything else, Tom? No, I just, I think the peace of mind you get from being prepared, even if the uh, dreaded event never happens, makes the preparation worth it. I feel like for me, it makes it so I can do better work because I can have the attitude that I'm going to do the best job that I know how, and I'm going to do what I think I need to do. And I can have that attitude because what's the worst that any company could do to me? They could fire me. That's it. And if I'm covered, then I feel like I'm more free to do good work. And I feel like I do better work. Not that I, you know, want to tell the the company to, you know, go jump in a lake or something, but knowing that I could, if I needed to, I feel like gives me better, it, it makes me more free to do good things. And so that the whole topic of being prepared comes down to that for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks to Yvonne for bringing this up and for coming on and, uh, Giving us some of your thoughts on this, because I think it's a very important topic. We don't talk about it a lot, being prepared, not just for being laid off or job changes or whatever, but just in life and, uh, you know, looking again at, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to have our lifespan. We all have times, there's seasons in life, and uh, often the season changes when we're not expecting it. So, so Giovanni, any place that you blog or do anything else that you want to mention before we wind down? Mainly my LinkedIn account. Uh, I'll okay. try to set up something, but as of now, mainly my LinkedIn account. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. That's good. Yeah. And Tom is mostly on Twitter because Tom doesn't like to write more than 160 characters at once. That's what I figured <laughs> out. I'm trying to figure out how you code it's 160 characters at a time, Tom. That's what I can't. Unbelievable. Can. <laughs> yeah, Russ yeah. is... Uh, Russ is razzing me. If you knew how many words I write that I don't publish on the internet, you would laugh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, LinkedIn is where you can find me as well as Twitter. And I actually don't tweet all that much. Um, so I, I use zero characters, Russ, zero. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually fine. I don't tweet that much either, honestly. <laughs> what, 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 what I mostly write on my blog and stuff like that, although I do write in other places. If you look around on the internet, you can find at least one other place that I write, but you've got to search for it because I'm not going to tell you where it is. But anyway, <laughs> so, so you can always find me here at rule11.tech on the hedge. I don't know, LinkedIn, whatever. I write here and there. So just look for my stuff on Packet Pushers or whatever. So thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.